Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. You guys are not going to believe the story I'm about to tell you. In fact, truthfully, I don't know whether to believe it myself or not, but I'm going with it. You know what I mean? I'm just going to, I'm going to embrace the story and I'm going to tell it like I do believe it, even though I still am not sure. And I never will be sure if it is in fact, without a doubt, a true story. And the story is, I think I found my first ever buck. Yep. If you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you will recall back to episode three. And then again, I think in uh, episode six, when you guys first met my brother, Jake, where we told the story of the buck that I shot. Just got a, uh, you know, a very superficial hit on, went to finish it off with uh, my brother's muzzleloader. He being the brand new hunter that he was, forgot to put gunpowder in his muzzleloader. And that didn't work. So then I had to reload again in the freezing cold, shot this deer again. We tracked it for... uh, five hours. I hit him really good. I thought the second time, but evidently not good enough. We had to track him for, for five hours, kept bedding down and we, he'd hop back up. And, and finally we were multiple neighbors properties away. And in Iowa, you're allowed to track an animal onto your neighbor's property without permission, but you're not allowed to bring a gun with you. And he just kept getting up, looking back at me and then taking off again. That was the last time I saw my buck and you want to talk about an empty hollow feeling. Yeah, it was, it was brutal, but I always wondered what happened to this deer. And this last weekend I actually got out. If you follow first gen hunter social media pages, you would know this. I had gotten out and I did a little Turkey hunting. And, um, after I was done Turkey hunting, I got my son and, and, uh, my dad, And we went and hiked around the timber where I had followed this buck all over the place when he was uh, running out ahead of us. And we were looking for some morel mushrooms. And as we're walking along, you know, I'm trying to keep my son happy and everything. We're walking along down these, all these deer trails and everything, looking for morels, but you could just tell that the timber was too dry. It's been pretty dry here in Iowa this spring. You could just tell. It's not, I don't think that we got enough moisture here yet for uh, mushrooms, uh, but we're still kind of, you know, half-heartedly looking. And then we come across the sign of a dead deer. 
there was all this hair that was really matted on the ground. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't fresh hair by anything. It was really old. It was all matted into the ground and everything like a, like a giant, like a rug on the ground kind of. And uh, I was like, huh, I wonder what that is. I mean, that's how, that's how old it was. You couldn't even like really tell for sure if it was hairy. It just kind of, you kind of got the idea that it was, but you weren't sure. So we look at it and say, okay, yeah, that's definitely hair. Let's start looking around for a deer. And I found a leg bone. I was like, oh, there's a leg bone. That's interesting. And I uh, started looking around some more. Found some more bones. Found a spinal column. Found the rib cage a- attached to the spinal column and everything. And some rib bones laying around. Found, uh, I think, uh, a front shoulder. And I was like, oh, man, there's got to be a head around here somewhere. It's probably just a doe or something that got that got hammered but there's got to be there's got to be a head around here somewhere and there it was there laying on the ground was this pretty busted up skull but perfect and i'm i can't emphasize it enough perfectly intact set of antlers a small basket eight buck and it looked like the the exact same profile of the buck that I shot three and a half years ago. Now, you're probably listening to this and you're pretty skeptical, skeptical at this point. And I don't blame you, okay? When I remember the last time I laid eyes on this deer, it was on the neighbor's property. But I am almost positive that it has to be him because... Deer like to circle back to where their comfortable little uh, uh, home area is. This deer was still, although hit twice, healthy enough to be getting up and running, jumping over fences, crossing a river, you know. So it's definitely within the realm of possibility for him to go back to where he was comfortable. Furthermore, these bones were old. They were stained by the dirt. They they were really bleached by the sun. They had been there for quite some time. They've been totally cleaned for the most part um, by, by scavengers and insects. And so I just really think that I came across that buck. The rack is the right size. The age to the bones look to be about the right amount of time. But again, we'll never know. But that was, that was some pretty exciting news on my part. So, uh, yep, had to get a salvage tag and everything. So, just feels good to have some closure. And I really, truly hope that it is that buck. But if not, nonetheless, I got a sweet deadhead out of it. And so uh, that's what really matters, though, was just the, the fun that I had there with my dad and my son as we were we were enjoying the moment together there. So that was that was the big news. I don't know if it's believable or not, but hopefully, hopefully it's true. Today's tip of the day, though, is going to go along with what this episode is all about. I had the privilege to sit down and interview Mr. Tremaine Benson of Benson's Kennel down in uh, Alabama, and uh, he raises what he would term, and um, from the little that I now know about hunting dogs, swamp rabbit hunting dogs, fine hounds, and you are going to thoroughly enjoy this episode, as did I while recording it. Now, I have never hunted rabbits that extensively. Um, I think I've talked about this in the past. I've bagged one or two or been along with somebody who shot one while we were pheasant hunting. And um, my dogs definitely played a role in that. 
Okay, so that's kind of the first part of this tip. If you're going to go rabbit hunting, um, I'm sure there's people who are able to do it without dogs. But from what I've found, these things hold so tight to cover. And like if you're going past a big brush pile or something, you're just going to have a hard time getting to a spot where you can put enough pressure on those things to get them to flush out from cover. And so having a dog that can really work in there tight and put some pressure on these things and get them out in the open so you can get a shot at them. It, it, I mean, it's just a huge advantage, let alone if you're getting a dog like uh, what Tremaine's running here. These dogs are just bred to to put a chase on some rabbits, you know, that you're, you're going to want to hunt rabbits for the dog, in my opinion, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> but my point here is safety first. This is your tip of the day, okay? Whenever you're hunting something that's on the ground with your dogs, like a rabbit, it's it's just really easy to get caught up in the moment and um, kind of let go of your safety consideration. Now, sadly, this doesn't just apply to dogs. Uh, just in the news today, I read a, a story about someone uh, down, I think, in Missouri who accidentally shot a hiker on some public ground while they were turkey hunting. And, uh, you know, one of those deals where... I mean, I just don't understand how somebody can mistake a turkey or a human for a turkey if they're really knowing what they're shooting at. Probably a bad case of somebody who got caught up in the moment, right? They got a little trigger happy. They wanted to make something happen. And uh, it's just always, always important to verify what your target is before you're squeezing off a shot and that you have a clear, safe uh, pathway for those pellets in between you and your target. But back to the dog side of things, when you're hunting and shooting at things on the ground, especially if your dogs are giving chase to this rabbit, it can be pretty easy to accidentally uh, pepper your pup. Don't want to do that. So how do you avoid that? Well, first of all, make sure that yourself and anyone else hunting with you is already thinking about that possibility, that danger, that risk. Keeping that presence of, of reality in your mind can go a long way. But then the second thing is help make your dog more visual. A few years ago, I started putting blaze orange dog vests on my dogs while I hunt pheasants. And I think that that is, that has been, you know, it gives me a lot more peace of mind, especially when I'm hunting with somebody that I haven't really spent much time hunting with before. I'm not sure how they're going to respond when they see game flush or what they think is game flushing. But having that extra bit of blaze orange, it works for us work for your dog and uh, hopefully um, prevents a disaster from taking place well let's go ahead and get on here with episode 54 of the first gen hunter podcast i think you're really going to enjoy this one we we're privileged enough to hear from tremaine tremaine is a guy who is at the top of his field here with hunting rabbits with hounds and i think that's really going to show through to you on this episode so big thanks to tremaine for giving us some time here on this one and a big thanks to you for tuning in enjoy this is a first for uh, recording this podcast. I'm actually sipping coffee while I do this interview. We're interviewing on a Saturday morning. Usually we 
usually we record in the in the evenings, but this one was such a great opportunity, and we're talking with a guy who's a super busy guy. He's doing a whole whole bunch of different things, and uh, this was just the best time that lined up for both of us. So uh, I kind of like this vibe, though, having some nice, uh, having some nice warm coffee in the morning, and uh, kind of waking up talking about hunting. You know, not a bad way to start a day. So uh, I, I might have to uh, go back to this model in the future, but. I am lucky enough to be joined by a guy who was featured in probably one of, I don't know, maybe the uh, a top five, top three, maybe memorable articles that I've ever read in all hunting magazines. And that's a lot of reading. I've been reading Field and Stream and Outdoor Life. And of course, uh, listeners that have been listening for a while know that I write for a uh, Iowa-based uh, outdoor magazine here, and uh, you know, read Fur, Fish, and Game, just a whole bunch of different publications. But this one article has been burned into my brain ever since I came across it a few years ago, and uh, it was a, an article about hunting these mysterious swamp rabbits deep in the uh, the Alabama swamps, the southern Alabama swamps. And uh, the, the guy who was uh, doing all the hunting, well, there was, he had a whole uh, team of guys with him, but he was running his uh, hounds, chasing after these giant swamp rabbits. His name is Tremaine Benson from southern Alabama. Tremaine, thanks so much for coming on the show with me today, man. Um, thank you for having me. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I've I've tried to think what what was it exactly about this article that was so interesting to me, but um I would I would advise anyone listening in to go look this article up. But I think what it was the photography in it was excellent. The uh um you know, just the really striking photos. I think it part of it is it's just such a beautiful area the contrast of all the blaze orange and all the pictures and and you guys also were uh, hitting a soft spot for me you're using some of those uh beautiful old uh uh woodstock shotguns i'm a i'm a sucker for those I, synthetics okay synthetic stock shotguns are okay but but those uh wood green I, I love that classic look and uh you know all the pictures of the hounds running around of course these giant rabbits you guys were holding up and it's just really w well written but most importantly it was the excitement that was conveyed not just through the pictures and stuff but the interviews that that were written down, you know, in that article, it's like, man, that just looks like a ton of fun. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to learn about it, man. Yeah. The, the passion man, really showed heavy in that article. And I think when you have passion for something, it shows whether it be in film, whether it be, um, podcasts, whether it be, um, in written form. And so the passion showed um, through, heavy in that article and I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it and i hope a, a lot of your listeners will go find that article via our website or field and stream magazine's website and um hope they enjoy it yeah for sure man that was that was uh that was really a a great read and yeah like uh tremaine just said I will provide the link, uh, as always in the show notes, but also we'll talk about it here at the uh, close of this interview for, for people to check out where they can get over to his website and find that, that article there. It's just, just really well written. And, um, 
you know, a fun, a fun read for sure. So, but you know, that talk of passion, I think that's, I think that's spot on. Um, you know, anything that we're really gonna, we're really gonna be good at eventually. Right. And of course, uh, you know, as humility works, we're never as good as we think we are, (laughs) but, uh, um, but, uh, passion, you know, I, I like that you brought that up because, uh, through following you on Instagram and, uh, kind of talked about some of the other things that, that you have your hands in, uh, in that article, uh, you're a pretty passionate person. You have a uh, background in ministry, and uh, I want to talk about that here in a, just a second, but also a big Auburn fan. Yeah, man, War Eagle. <laughs> I, I, bleed, I bleed the orange and blue. I Love it, man. Love it. Yeah, you know, I never really... I, I never really knew what side of the rivalry I was on. Of course, I'm way up here in Iowa, so we're far removed from that. You know, our biggest rivalry here is is uh, Iowa, Iowa State, and I mean that gets pretty that gets pretty crazy. But it is nothing compared to uh, what goes on down there in Alabama between uh, you and your neighbors there. And uh, I never I never really understood that until I saw. I think it was a ESPN 30 for 30. I, I assume you've probably seen this, the same one. It was a, it was a good one. And, um, they kind of explained the history of the, the war Eagle, uh, phrase. And I thought that was really cool. But then they talked about this terrible story. Like, like I just felt it just made me feel sad <laughs> because of what a lost, a lost precious thing that can't ever be brought back. And that was the poisoning what were, they were they were twin oaks, right? These ancient twin oaks on uh, the Auburn campus that uh, an Alabama fan uh, called into a sports talk radio show or something like that and admitted to uh, poisoning them with some kind of uh, herbicide. It, 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 what what was the whole story on that? Uh, man, I don't know the full story on it. We I try to etch it out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. But it, it, it was just a sad day, man, when the message got around to the alumni, uh, which I graduated from Auburn. As oh, well. okay. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, ironically, to give the full story, um, when from the time um, sports in the South is is, is is probably a lot different than uh, other places, and from the time you are born, really before you are born. Um, it is decided whether you're going to be an Auburn or an Alabama fan by your parents. Okay, every, yeah. Every child, every child in the South, from the time they're born, man, they're going to have an Auburn or an Alabama uh, outfit on before <laughs> oh, they man. come out of their mother's womb. Yeah, it's, uh, they're going to be purchased. So basically, I came out as an Alabama fan just for my parents and, and the area and uh, all of my, a lot of my family. All of my cousins before me that went to co- went to college, they went to Alabama. So we were huge Alabama fans. Really? Um, ironically, yeah. Ironically, I broke the mold. Um, <laughs> I but when I gra- when I graduated, I went to um, I ultimately decided to go to Auburn. Sure. And ironically, uh, many all I believe all of or many of my cousins after that then went to Auburn. So um, man, we truly have a family divided some graduated from alabama some from auburn but i'm a huge auburn fan um and the when the we got the word that the, the, of the situation with the uh poisoning of the trees man it was such a sad day in our history 
um, even in the family, man. I believe I shed a tears. Um, I believe it's just it. such a huge, it's a huge tradition, but it's more so, um, it, it just represents family. That's one thing about yeah. being a part of the Auburn, Auburn nation is truly family. The trees were poison. And, uh, man, um, Auburn people can forgive and forget, but um, it's still etched in our hearts of that, that terrible day that we got the message that the trees were um, poisoned. But then, more importantly, after several procedures and several um, experts looking at the situation, they ultimately determined that um, the trees could not be saved. But, you know, man, Auburn people, we just keep fighting. Even though we had to take down the trees, the tradition still lives on. Um, it's still etched in our hearts and our mind, and the passion still shows, man, for the Auburn Nation. And that, yeah, that that was well said. And and I just learned something there. I didn't realize that, uh, man. Even at birth, that was uh, that was such a huge deal. It just that just deepens the uh, the drama, I guess you could say, for how uh, important that that rivalry is down there and and a part of that culture in the South. That's that's really cool, and especially uh, right there in your home state in Alabama. But but yeah, man. I when I I'm a I'm a biology teacher, and so you know I I kind of look at at, well, and I, you know, just being a hunter, I think hunters look at nature differently. And when you look at every tree and, and, you know, it has, it has so much value to you. And when I heard that story and just hearing how old those trees were, cause they were, they were like hundreds of years old. Right. 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 And, and the tradition span, um, and just so many years, um, so many families and you, you're talking about, um, your children's children's and mm. great, great, great grandchildren that can experience the same tradition of you uh, passed down through the years, man. It, it, it was a priceless experience. And just to see those trees, um, it was a staple for, for Auburn, man. It was mm-hmm. a staple. Like, even we, we, when you would take your children there, you would show them the tree. You know, it, it was something about it. Even in the off season, off, not the football season, in the off season, you would show them the tree. So, uh, you know, hundreds of years um, invested in that, but but still, uh, man, the Auburn Nation still is strong, um, and we're still pushing on despite that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 good to hear that everyone's moving on from it. And uh, you know, one other one other Auburn Alabama memory I have that's much more cheerful. And uh, this was after I decided I would always root for Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Uh, the uh, missed field goal turned into a touchdown man i remember yeah. watching that that was insane <laughs> yeah insane and um it was one of the um uh, one of the um biggest wins man i i think just just to watch that you know the rivalry is so oh strong. yeah and um and you know um the the, the when they started rolling the trees has been debated um heavily uh, um certain trees have been there like we said forever but roll we actually rolled the trees with toilet paper um some say that started in the 70s uh, okay. so it's debatable when when exactly that started but that that game man um against alabama as you know is our biggest rivalry um uh, because of what I stated previously, but uh, right. man, that missed field goal and um, it, every time with the game, the family is all around. Everybody drive in from no matter where they live at across the state, and you, we all in one house or in, on one property, and TVs are playing everywhere. Food, barbecue, 
um, you name it, it's there, children are playing, and um, finally get to the end of that, and that happened, man, it was just one of the biggest wins of uh, of my lifetime, you know. Yeah, oh, man, man, I feel I'm smiling now just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I remember right where I was when I saw that, and I, I think I jumped up off the ground, and uh, that's as an Iowa Hawkeye yeah. fan, you know, just the excitement of that play, probably, probably one of the most iconic uh, college football plays in the modern era, you know, just a, just right, a really, right. really incredible moment. Yeah. That was a lot of fun to be a part of, but well, we're not, we're not just here to talk football here. We might have some people listening like, wait a minute. I thought, I thought we were going to talk hunting. We are, we are, but, <laughs> but uh, it is important to know that, that we are all more than just uh, hitting the woods and, and stuff like that. There's other things that are important to us, but, but uh, one other thing I wanted to, to bring up here, uh, you, you also work as a pastor, right? Right, 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 and that's that's another calling, man. Um, I don't think pastors are, uh, are um, you just don't become a pastor because you like it, but mm. you really have to call, you have to be yeah. chosen, uh, and and the passion has to uh, shine through in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's a, that's a busy job. I, my uh, brother-in-law, uh, he does that and, uh, man, just, the the amount of time invested and, and the hearts that you guys have just for helping people, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's never easy being in the service industry, but, um, yeah. always worth it though. Always worth it. So right. it, it's really, uh, I was telling someone yesterday, the honor to be able to serve people is, is one of the greatest honors ever because um, after a while you accomplish so many different goals and you, you reach so many milestones in your personal life and then you look for the opportunity mm. to help others. Man, I, I tell people all the time that our community is not destroyed from guns or our community is not destroyed from drugs or any other, other external things that most people would normally point out. But I think most of the time, most of our communities are destroyed for people who are successful failing to reach back to help somebody else. Mm. Uh, so having the passion to want to, yeah, having the passion to want to serve. Man. Just this week, um, two of my cousins that, um, well, one of my cousins, my aunt, uh, we have an organization. Um, I have a nonprofit organization called the World Youth Association where we do things okay. like. Um, take um, look-alike um, Disney look-alike characters to um, children hospital um, just to entertain some of the children. Patients. Oh, that's we awesome, that. man! Yeah, we did that in previous years. Um, um, but but this week we have or we have a conference we call the Dreamality Conference. It's really you turn your dream help help young people turn their dreams into reality. So we were able to get on a Skype call for about an hour and just pour into some seniors at the um, local high school in Alexander City, close to the hometown. I'm from Coosa County, which is right by Alexander City. Okay. Um, but we were able to talk to some seniors about um, their career aspirations and different things. But having the opportunity to serve in that capacity, as well as pastor, man, pastoring and serving, is it, one of the greatest gifts of life, just being able to help somebody else out. Yeah, I love that. That's that's really uh that's really a good thing to be a part of and you're spot on, you know. We we all have something that's been given to us that can be a help to to others and you know, failing to use that and exercise that just short changes everybody down the road and and uh and then we 
we scratch our heads and wonder why we have all the problems we see around us and and it's like well what what have i done to uh try and improve upon it yeah that's a great point really good point well are you ready to talk some hunting man yeah let's get into it <laughs> yeah we're we're at, we we still have a little bit of turkey season up here but then it's going to be a long haul until hunting season's here so it's good to it's good to talk about it but how did you uh really get started with hunting was that something that you were kind of born into as well or uh did you pick that up later on um ironically um i grew up and uh i'm i'm my uncle um uncle we call him uncle james uncle james benson okay. um, we, everybody call everybody call him uncle james uncle james was a uh for lack of better term he, he was a black cowboy he okay. was an african-american cowboy that he um uh, he lived in Alexander city but and he loved twirling his guns watching western <laughs> that's he, awesome he, he had, yeah, he had a horses, man. He would he would go to his house and he would show you how to shoot off the horse, how to um, saddle down, have one leg in the saddle and shoot your shot man. gun, the rifle. Or, man, he would tw- twirl those guns, show that he was the fastest gun in Alabama. <laughs> that he, is awesome, so, man. Yeah, so watching him do do that, um, I gained a passion for just watching him shoot um, guns and different things. And I didn't have any guns at the time and sure. my father was not big with guns and hunting, but watching Uncle James do that, I gained a passion for it. And I told my father, I said, Hey, I want to start uh, shooting guns and learning about hunter safety. And, mm-hmm. and, and so my father started, he, he started taking me squirrel hunting. Okay. Um, I bought, well, I bought my first 410 single shot from Uncle James. That's awesome. And ironically, my, my father had a 410 single shot that always stayed in the closet, but you know, we never touched it and he never hunted or anything. Right. But I, I said, when I said I wanted to squirrel hunt, my father, um, started taking me squirrel hunting. Both of us had a single shot 14, which, um, we still have to this day. And I, man, I just gained a passion for squirrel hunting. Every time that I was out of school, I, I would want to squirrel hunt. Every Saturday I would wake up, um, I would tap on my father and mother's door. And uh, I'll ask my dad, you know, hey, can we go squirrel hunt? And uh, he wasn't a hunter, but he would wake up every Saturday morning um, during the season. He would take me squirrel hunt just because he knew I had a, a tremendous passion for it. Wow, that's um, good, Dad. Long, yeah, man. Uh, long story short, we squirrel hunted, and and I noticed well, Uncle James, he had these beagles and dogs. And he said, hey, nephew, I'm going to take you rabbit hunt one day. And i never forget the moment, man. I had... Um, by that time, I had purchased a 14 um, pump from my uncle, Uncle James, because I wanted to rabbit hunt. And uh, he told me he was taking me rabbit hunt. I, I believe we had to leave about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, heading to uh, a place called, I believe, Luverne, Alabama, if my memory serves me correctly. I may be off a little bit, but it was about 3 three to 4 hours from where we were living. Uh, okay. I remember getting, getting dressed. I didn't have... Uh, I did did not even have a case to put my gun in. So I, <laughs> I had my gun in my lap. I had my 14 shells in my pocket. Um, um, and I just kept, I had woke up, put on all my clothes, and I kept looking out the window. It's dark, 4 a.m., 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I kept looking out the window, and I was wondering, was, uh, did they leave me? Because at this time, Uncle James was so popular into rabbit hunting that all the hunters in the city wanted to ride with him. Okay. So instead of riding riding to rabbit hunt in a truck, he had he had purchased this green, I believe, green and yellow van. 
and the dogs were in the back and all these hunters were packing the van. But I, man, I, I assumed they had forgotten me. So I just kept looking at oh. the window and my, yeah, my father and mother assured me, Hey, they're coming. Just be patient. Uh, you know, it's three or four o'clock in the morning. I'm ready to go hunting. My uh, 14 is on my lap. And finally, man, I, I saw some lights piercing through the fog. Uh, and Uncle James and the crew, um, his crew, a lot of older fellas pulled up. Sure. And, and uh, I came out the house running with my four. And I, well, I wasn't running, but j- jumping happy that I had my 14. And I was finally going rabbit hunting. You know? That's I cool. rode that whole that three, four hour drive with the 410 in my lap. Um, Cause again, I didn't have any shells or any, uh, anything. It made sure it was unloaded. And uh, man, we stepped out uh, of this van um, early in the morning. Fog uh, was barely lifting. And it was this field. It was this field that um, it, it wasn't thick at all, almost like a corn field that the corn had been cut. And they were, the other hunters were in front of me and they had walked on up past um, the initial point of the field. Sure. And um, I finally got, got loaded and everything. And um, I walked into the field and man, it was almost like it was um, um, heavenly appointed or, or ordained from the beginning of the times. All the other hunters had walked past this point. I come walking behind them and a rabbit gets up almost in the middle of the field. Oh man. I shoot. Yeah. I shoot one time. Another guy, they hear my shot. Another guy turns uh, from the angle. He shoots, misses. I shoot again, miss. And that guy shoot again and roll the rabbit. <laughs> and man, that, that moment, my less than five, less than three minutes outside of the van, that moment of that rabbit getting up, man, it solidified that, Hey, you were born to be a rabbit hunter. Man. That's born cool. To train people. And uh, so Uncle James got me started in it. Yeah. That's that's really cool that you can recall that one moment when you know when you got hooked. And and yeah. honestly, you know the, the the whole thing here, first gen hunter. I didn't start hunting until I was I was an adult. But but honestly, kind of a, a similar thing in a way. You know, I did have some uncles who were into it a little bit, and and uh, I didn't I didn't start hunting with them. I pretty much started on my own. But but. Uh, I can't really say when that exact moment was for me when I really fell fell in love with hunting. I mean, I just knew that I liked it, but that's cool that you can trace it back to that that precise moment of seeing that rabbit get rolled and and like you said, three minutes out of the van. That's cool. That's really cool. But so now that you were hunting with your uncle James and he's running hounds, I assume that the hounds part of that came at the same time right you, did you fall in love with with hunting with the dogs too kind of along that same that same timeline right right um i'm, I'm probably about 12 or 13 at this time sure. and, uh, i'm hunting squirrels um just about every chance every day that i can during that squirrel hunt season going hunting with uncle james uh when i was able to go with him uh, but um at this time Deer hunting with dogs was very popular on the road that okay. I lived on. I lived, I lived on this county road, and um, it was this um, these guys that would come to our road because it was just land and farmland everywhere, and they would deer hunt all Saturday. But I didn't know much about deer hunting with dogs. Sure. But um, but all I knew is they had beagles, like Uncle James did. Mm-hmm. And one one day, um, 
Um, actually, I, I wanted Beagles, but my parents were hesitant because they knew the responsibility. I'm <laughs> yeah. 12, 13. I'm in the middle of um, middle school sports, and um, yep. you know, I had I was pl- I was playing instruments at the church, so I already had a lot going on, even at 12, 13. Right. Uh, man, I I believe I had my first job at a church when I was probably about. 10 years old so wow. i've always been been heavily involved in, in the ministry and, sure. and working and, and busy long story short uh one of the beagles i think from one of the guys at deer hunt came down to our home and um we assumed they would come get the dog so we tied the dog up um no one ever came to got her. the guy that uh, was over the deer hunters in that area that um, man, he passed by the house, um, seen the dog tied up several times, but he never came and got the dog. Um, so my parents finally said, hey, if he, they don't come get the dog, um, maybe it's one that they don't want and you can keep it. And her her name was Brula. Okay. So she, she was the first beagle that I had. Now, I, I never had any papers on her. I don't even know anything about her background. All I knew is she, she would run the fire of the deer but I knew she would also run the fire of the rabbit. <laughs> so that was, that was my first dog. And, and that's when uh, I, 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 I began to learn, uh, to learn more about dogs and learn more, talk to uncle James more about um, breeding that dog and having puppies and litters. Sure. And, uh, man, the passion to want to, um, to hunt with dogs. It, 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 it takes hunting to a whole nother level because you spend more time, training the dog than you really mm. do hunting at the game during the hunt season. Yeah, so it, it, but it, it, it extends your hunting season out. You know, unfortunately for most hunters, you only have two or three months that you may hunt a particular game, but with training dogs, it, you have it's year round. Yeah. Cause you know, hey, when hunt season stops, I'm training for next season. So it allows you to keep that passion for it, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, 365, sometimes 66 days a year. And uh, so that's what got me into the dogs with Uncle James and getting my first dog that just came to the house. You know, you, you talked about responding to a call, being called to ministry. But man, that story there of <laughs> just having this dog basically by default end up in your possession when you have been wanting one for so long, you know, that's almost in a way a calling too, something that, that set you up for uh, what you're doing now with, with uh, running your kennel and, and uh, you know, the, the difference you've made in the, the hunting rabbits with hounds world, you know, it's, it's uh, pretty cool how that really all began just totally out of your control, you know? just just kind of fell fell into your lap a little bit that's really cool right right man it, it's amazing how minor details in our life often leads to major um major things um yeah. it's really not the big things that you remember but it's the small things like the dog just randomly coming to the house and, and the guy that lived down the road not coming to pick her up right. because there were dogs that we would see all the time and they would just come get them but but this one they let her stay um, huh. the, the opportunity to random that, that first rabbit to randomly wait till it was my time to step by to move, you know, yep. um, small things like that have led, you know, to this moment right here. And, and I think that happens for all of us that your purpose, it finds you. If you're doing the right thing, serving, helping others, man, your purpose will find you. And my purpose just happened to be in the woods, um, in the water, uh, with dogs, with nature 
um, and just living life to the fullest. I love that. That's, that's very well said. Yeah. Really, really, uh, really a cool perspective there. Well, uh, before we move on here a little bit more into the, the dog specifics now and, and the hunting application with these dogs and, and where you're hunting and that, I think it would be helpful for um, all of our listeners to kind of get a picture of uh, what the hunting habitat and ecosystems are like down there in uh, southern Alabama. So the title on this this episode is going to be swamp rabbits and fine hounds i loved uh i went on your website and i saw your little about uh blurb that that you guys have there on your website and it mentioned uh fine hounds i I like that phrase i think that's a cool phrase but um this idea of of hunting these swamp rabbits is it is it truly that like are, are you mostly hunting in swampy areas yeah, I, I have this quote that I love to say, and it goes like this. If it's freezing outside and you see me standing in water knee deep and you hear a pack of hounds roaring through the woods, don't call for help. I'm just at home. <laughs> oh, I like that. That is that is yeah. a good quote, man. So so yeah. a lot of water then, huh? A lot of water. We we live for the water because the what we call swamp rabbits. Some people call them cane cutters. Um, some some of them call. Sometimes you'll hear us referred to them on the um, video as bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, bucks. We're not necessarily talking about the male rabbit, uh, but we're mainly talking about this is a buck rabbit, like a big rabbit or a swamp rabbit. So we use the term interchangeably throughout. Uh, but 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 most people call them swamp rabbits. But um, to find most swamp rabbits, it has to be in swampy areas. Um, people often invite us to hunt and uh, when they're laying and they, they say, hey, where do you want to start? And we say, take us to the place that you would not walk through <laughs> in a million years. Like if you see the worst part of the land that you can't get through and, um, and, you, and you avoid it because of how thick it is, that's exactly where we want to be hunting. Because that's exactly where the swamp rabbits are mainly going to be high. In the thickest of thick, in the wettest of wet, um, and um, in just some of the most ickiest um, land ever. And, and it's beautiful, man. Even though it's swampy and it's muddy, um, it's so beautiful once you once you get out there into it. So um, just imagine very thick property uh, where the uh, cover is um, not necessarily high, but sure. the cover is low. Basically, okay. if you're stepping in it, you, you can't see your knee and you can't see your thighs. You wanted that the low cover, but you want it. Um, you want some swamp in there because the swamp rabbit loves to w- run in the swamp or jump in the creek or, or just go in those um, muddy areas. Okay. Uh, so I, I hope they give a good picture of, of what we look for. Yeah, definitely. Now, are there quite a few trees, like you know, hardwoods, maybe some oaks or or something like that, mixed in with with these swamps, or is it pretty much just all that that waste level thicket that you're talking about there? It's, it's normally a mixture. Normally, you'll have that waste level thicket uh, with its wet, and then you know, maybe across the path, it'll be some oaks and um, be mainly your deer territory. Okay, and, and the objective. Yeah, the objective is to have a pack of dogs that can push them out of that thick stuff. You have to put enough pressure on the rabbit to force them to come out of that thick, the thick 
we call it thick stuff, but it's thick territory, thick terrain, sure. swampy terrain to push them into more, the more open terrain. But it's normally a mixture. Sure. Oh, I, I like that. That, that, that does paint a good picture there. So you're trying to flush these, these rabbits out in the open, out of this, this muddy, really wet. Like, I like how you describe that. The, the place on the property, nobody wants to go to. I think that's a, yeah. that's a great way to, to really sum up where these things should be hunted. So uh, I think that's, I think that's a, that's a good picture there. And uh, from, from the images, you know, up here in Iowa, most of our mud is, is uh, black mud, you know, black topsoil, really good, you know, farm ground type of mud but down there it looks kind of like clay and and uh uh more of like a uh maybe like a little bit thicker mud is that is is it pretty is it pretty heavy walking through that mud that's exactly it that's exactly it like when you can step you can step in with your waders and man you have a tough time pulling your your boot Mm. out sometimes so so um but but that's that's the terrain that produces the most swamp rabbits. Yeah. You know, now again, because of the terrain varies, you'll have a portion of that. Then it'll be a portion where it's not as muddy and big sure. that you can walk beside. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah. but but the dogs are gonna be muddy. The dogs are gonna look like, you know, somebody just took some mud and threw it all over their body. <laughs> but, but good dogs that we train, that's that's what we talk about, fine hounds. Um, hounds that, that run the pleas and have the same passion that we have. Uh, they The hounds have to have just as much passion as the hunters. Love that. Because it's a combination deal. So that's, that's what we look for. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so let's start talking about the hounds here. So these are beagles. Now, are there like, are there sub breeds? You know, for instance, I, I like to do a lot of, uh, upland bird hunting so pheasant hunting quail hunting here in iowa and i have i have uh, a Brittany, uh, and uh he uh you know within the Brittany breed you can have american britneys and you have french britneys and then i have a Brittany mix my female she's half standard poodle half Brittany, and so she's called a Brittany spoodle do they do that too with beagles where you know maybe not so much like the mixed breed like my my Brittany spoodle but but more like my Brittany, where you have like the American Brittany, you got the French Brittany. Do they do they delineate like that with with beagles, or is a beagle just a beagle? Uh, um, the the first one uh, where there's a lot of deviation. Um, okay. I, obviously, we don't out outbreed it because we want sure. it to be a true beagle. But but you have you'll hear among, amongst um, trainers and people that, that 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 deal with beagles a lot. They'll call some of them hare hounds. Okay. Um, hare hounds are normally ones that come from up north, and they spend a lot of time running hare. Uh, but but there that a lot of those hounds have trickled trickled down into um, the southern states, and 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 sometimes they have a difficult time running a cottail because they're they're more bred to run hare. But but you'll hear hear that hare hound. Um, but but the variety is so 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 widespread hmm. that you'll go to uh, Louisiana and you may see one style of dog, and then you'll go to New York and you may see another style of dog, and you'll go to Alabama and you may see another style. And the same style of dog that you see in New York may be in Alabama and Louisiana. It just depends on the preference of the hunters. Sure, uh, we try to have we most hunters. Um, uh, and then you got different varieties of hunters. You have people that 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 just love to rabbit hunt, and then you got people that 
that just loves to feel trial. That means competition hunt mm-hmm. that beagles against other beaglers. Sure. And then you have uh, some of us in the middle that we love to rabbit hunt, but we also love to feel trial. Okay. So it, it, it allows a big variety of uh, the breed. Um, some people have what we call the walkie-talkie beagles. Uh, mainly that's a field trial and they, that those beagles walk very slow. Matter of fact, a, probably a baby could walk faster than those beagles. <laughs> yeah. But then, um, the hare hound is on the extreme end where they run super fast or okay. they, they are bred to run super fast for the most part. And, um, and you could, you cannot keep up with, with them if you, even if you wanted to. Um, so it's a big variety and it's all in between. Um, the size normally is from 13 to 15 inches uh, for the standard, um, um, meaning um, in field trial competition, if you have a beagle 13 inches and below, they have one category and 13 inches above um, to no bigger than 15 is another category. Sure. And that could be males and females. So it's, it's man, it's a, just a big variety mm-hmm. of what you want. And, yeah, and then your typical rabbit hunter, they may say, hey, I don't care if the beagle is 17 inches tall. I, I just want a beagle that'll run a rabbit at, you know, medium speed or fast speed. So it's, it's a big variety here. Sure, sure. No, that's that's good information to know. And, and uh, you know, when you aren't, you know, maybe a dog owner or maybe you don't own a specific breed, it's easy to just look at them and be like, oh, that's a beagle. But uh, as Tremaine's yeah. saying there, there's there's a... There's a ton of variety, and that's really cool to to learn about that. Um, what traits set a good so so you even mentioned there you even delineated the different types of rabbit hunting you want to do. We have some friends of the show. A shout out to Team Lone Oak from up in uh, Virginia, who they run some some rabbit beagles up there. Um, but I gotta imagine what you're doing with with that this really unique habitat and these swamps chasing these these bigger rabbits the traits that you're looking for in your your swamp rabbit dogs are going to be quite a bit different than theirs so what exactly and 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 i did also learn from those guys that man these dogs have to be really durable you know like you were saying you're going into the thickest of the nastiest habitat these dogs get torn up by thorns and by by branches and stuff like that so so i understand that they got to be like really durable and tough but what other, like, like if you, uh, you know, saw, okay, this, I think this dog might have this trait and it starts to get you real excited about, uh, what his potential could be down the road. What, what kind of traits are those that, that really get your attention? Caribou, elk, moose, antelope, coos deer, trophy whitetails, oryx, sika deer, doll sheep, and mule deer. What do all these critters have in common besides their delicious backstraps? They can't all be hunted in the same state, meaning that at least one of these game species will require you to purchase a non-resident hunting license and tag in order to hunt them. Now the rules of the tag application game are wildly diverse from state to state. And if you are looking to complete a bucket list hunt, 
you are going to want some help to make sure you are setting yourself up for the best opportunity possible. And that's where tag application and hunt planning agent Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts can really help you out. If you've listened to any of the episodes we've had here on the First Gen Hunter podcast with our buddy Alex, then you know there isn't anyone who cares more about the details of tag acquisition than him. Alex not only will help you through the hoops of the tag application process, but he will also help you plan the details of your trip that will get you where you need to be in order to have your best chance at filling your tag. And he is offering a 10% discount for First Gen Hunter podcast listeners such as yourself. All you have to do is purchase a service through his website, alexgruen.com. That's A-L-E-X-G-R-U-I-N.com and use the code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and you will receive 10% off the hunt of your lifetime. Um, the first thing is passion. Back okay. to what, what we've been talking about. Um, the dog has to show a level of interest just as much um, as your level of interest. Okay. Um, because as you said, there's so many different beagles, uh, styles, and different uh, breeds, um, different breeding programs. But at the end of the day, um, whether it's a beagle, a hair hound bred beagle in New York, or a walkie-talkie beagle in Louisiana or Mississippi or Alabama, um, or a fast beagle in Alabama, Georgia, um, the Carolinas, uh, Ohio, Tennessee, still mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're looking for the dogs with the passion. Mm. And, 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 and you got to, the, so that's the first thing you got, it, it has to have, it has to have the passion. Um, next, when you get more specifically to the traits, the first thing, um, and this probably is a tip to all, all the trainers of anyone with a dog that chases game. Sure. The number one thing on a dog, um, is, is its nose. Mm. If it can't, sm- if it can't smell the game, it can never run it. Mm-hmm. If it. So if you can't smell it, no matter how good and strong the legs are, it's not going to be able to run it. If it has all the brains in the world where it's smart enough to climb out of a pen or smart enough um, to turn flips or, or run a, 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 a agility course, if it don't have the nose to smell the game, it won't run. Um, it can't run the game. So, and then you just build from there. So you look for passion. You have to have a quality nose. And then it still has to have the right traits um, for it. It has to, um, depending on the hunter's preference, if you want speed, you got to have a, a dog that has enough foot speed to um, put enough pressure on the rabbit to cause it to come out of those thick areas where you can see the rabbit if you hunt. Mm. Um, but then also it has to have, it has to be a smart dog. Meaning you know, the rabbit is one of the most, one of the most difficult games to run in, in the woods because you think about it, the rabbit is hunted by so many other things. You think um, the hawks and owls from the air, the coyotes and foxes from the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so rabbits are targeted by so many different predators, but point. it makes them the, some of the some of the hardest game to run. So uh, man, a rabbit I've, I've seen a rabbit run up twenty yards straight, <laughs> jump f- five yards to the right, 
and let a pack of dogs run straight up the line, run straight past them, they'll jump back on the same trail and then come right back behind the dogs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but but they, they are that smart. So therefore, you yeah. have to have a dog. You have to have the passion um, to, to want to keep searching for it. You have to have yeah. the nose to fig- figure out that, hey, this rabbit did what we call, we call that double backing. Okay, yeah. It was run, it was running one way, jumped to the side, got back in the same trail, and ran ran back to where it originally came from. Sure. It, and that's one of the hardest patterns to figure out. But it, no matter how fast it is, if it doesn't have the nose and the brain to figure that out, the having the legs won't help it. Help it. So uh, so those are just some of the traits: having the passion, nose, uh, and brains, and then you just get to more so. Um, foot speed and different things like that. Sure. Well, that's a great point. I like how you said that if, if it loses track of it, it's got to have the passion not to just give up. Cause I, I got to imagine that that's a pretty common flaw in dogs that don't cut it is, is when, uh, they just start to, you know, lose out on that, that feeling of reward of getting on the, the rabbit, you know, then, uh, they, they just lose interest. That's kind of what happened with, um, so my dog, he does great for hunting pheasants and, and quail. He, he's he's great. But I tried training him to uh, look for uh, deer shed antlers uh, back when he was, you know, a year, maybe two years old. And just because it's so far and few between finding those antlers, he just couldn't maintain the, like you said, the passion for it. You know, it's like uh, the, the, the reward was too few and far between to, to keep his interest. And so... I got to imagine that that's a, that's probably a pretty common thing with those, those, uh, having such savvy prey, like the, those swamp rabbits that can, that can dip out of there so quick and disappear. You know, that's, that's a really good point. So uh, but, but those, but those traits are true also for the, for probably the bird dogs as well, for the, um, for the coon hound as well, for, um, um, just about any how that runs games, so those some of those traits just have that passion because mm. uh, if they don't have the passion, man, no matter you can put them, you can put a a, a, a covey of quail in front of them, but if they don't have a passion, you know, if you hunt in wild quail, especially that hey, I haven't found a, a covey in an hour, but I'm still looking just like it's the first minute that I've been dropped yeah. out of the truck. That's what that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's a uh, that's I, an I excellent love, point. I love I love to train my beagles in areas where there's not many rabbits because it teaches them that hey, if I'm out here two hours and I hadn't found anything, I want you hunting just like you've been out here two minutes. Mm. And, and and so putting them in areas where there's not game. And and some people and and um this may be getting too technical into the training aspect. No, 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 that's a great uh, tip there. But some people don't realize the benefit of, of not finding game. That's just as much as part of your training as finding game. Like if you always take them where there's rabbit, if you always take them where there's birds, if you hmm. always take them where where you're finding the game you want, then you're not you, you're you're producing a dog that can perform in, under perfect conditions. Hmm. But you, but in your but in your natural environment, um, there's going to be times that you don't find a cubby every time you get around the corner. That's not a covey over every hill if you're bird hunting. That's not a uh, a, a coon uh, at, at every creek if you're coon hunting. That's not a rabbit at every, in every thicket. 
So therefore, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll go to areas where I know, man, there may be one or two rabbits in this whole 50 acre property or something. And you, you just want them to search to search and it's to they, to they can't search anymore. And, um, and I love that. I love three hours. We hadn't found anything, but they're still searching for it. That's, that's the, that's the level of passion. That's, that's the turkey hunter. Hey, I hadn't heard a turkey or man, I heard that t- turkey gobble back, but I couldn't get a good look at him. But mm, what we yeah. do, we'll, w- we'll wake up the next morning, go right back. <laughs> man, yeah. that is such it's a good point. Find, the, is... the passion is not finding the game, but the chase is, I know it's here and I got to work to find it. Man, that, that's what, that's what fires me up. That, that is such a great point. I have never heard that point made before. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm nowhere near the, the dog handler that, that you are or, or, you know, pretty much anyone else that I've talked to, but, but, uh, I, I've listened to a lot of different guys out there, you know, in the, in the bird dog world. And I've never heard that point. That is, that is a fantastic point that, that training them in an environment where the rewards are few and far between because it, it reinforces the, the need to stay with it and the optimism too, for the dog that, Hey, if I stay at this eventually, you know, something, something good will happen. So that's, that's a, (laughs) that is a really excellent tip, man. I'm going to hang on to that one. Well, we give give it, we're giving away all the secrets. <laughs> no, man, that is, that is high level. I, I, and it's, you know, that's something that anybody can put into practice too. You know, whether you're just getting started or, or, uh, you've been training dogs for a long time, that little adjustment right there. That's, that's huge. That's, that's really good. Well, you know, you're down there in these swamps and, uh, swamps as you know, even as you described, just in walking through them, something that wants to pull your shoes off your feet, even and make it impossible to get through. You got to wear waders and all this. They can be pretty inhospitable places. And, um, you know, uh, down South, you guys got a few more critters around that, uh, especially down in the swamp areas, uh, where you're at that could, uh, put a real hurting on you. Um, you got some poisonous snakes, yeah. Do you, do you guys have gators in your area there or are they farther south, closer to, and, and closer to Florida? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's farther south. Okay. Farther south. They, they have gators and um, you, you have to be careful if you get down there, man. Um, or if you go like, sometimes we hunt in like Louisiana and um, man, they have gators and stuff. So you have to make sure that you go the right times of year just to avoid um, some of those gators if at all possible. Sure, sure. Yeah, when it's a lot, and, when it's a lot colder, and it, and snakes are, are very bad. Poisonous snakes. I I talked to a gentleman last night, and he was uh, he just said, "Man, I just hate to take my dogs out there, um, knowing there's snakes out there." And mm. and that's part of the passion that we talked about. And like I I told him, if I, now most of the times, if I have a dog two years or older, I'll avoid taking them out as well. I find other ways to condition them and train them. Sure, um, but if they're younger than two years. Um, I don't want to lose any dog to a snake bite, and uh, unfortunately, I haven't I haven't lost one um, to to any snake bites ever in my life um, that I knew of. I've, I've had a few that I thought man they didn't come back, so they made got snake bit, but I never confirmed it a hundred percent. But sure. uh, man, snakes are very bad, but you have to train them. You have to be out there, you know. Now sometimes uh, 
uh, with mine, I give, I take them to the vet and give them, they have a, a certain shot that you can give them uh, okay. to help. And if they got state bit, they have a better chance of survival. But um, sure. ironically, as much as um, I train and my son and I, my son Trent, who's 11 years old, he does a lot of training with me. Mm-hmm. And we probably see one snake a year. Okay. And we train and we train two or three hundred times a the two or two two or three hundred days a year. So I'm I'm very fortunate that I don't see as many, but I'm certain we walk by a hundred um snakes at a time. We are oh, here, yeah. you know you know, just um I just thinking we gotta walk by several of them. But um it's it's something you gotta worry about 'cause but I, I hear every year of, of hunters losing their dogs to snakes, but um so I know it exists and it's a possibility but if you're going to make a dog, man, you got to put them out there in the woods. A dog in the pen um, it, all summer long is going to be the same, but probably worse when you get ready for the hunt season next year. But it is, it is, it's always on our mind. And therefore, we have snake-proof um, boots. And uh, and then sometimes we'll wear snake-proof um, shin guards over our snake-proof boots. Okay, yeah. Uh, just to be extra cautious. And, and I have, we have a ranger and, uh, four wheelers and we do ride those for for our personal safety but those dogs man they you risk it every time you drop the tailgate to let them out yep yep and you know sometimes when people hear this especially when you hear what a, a rabbit because I, I don't think there's really you know my dogs can get a little torn up on thorns and stuff when they're when they're hunting birds but i don't think there's anything out there other than maybe you might be able to make the argument for like a late season waterfowl retriever you know way up north or something like that it's getting in that freezing cold water and getting cut up by ice and stuff like that but I don't think there's a dog that gets put through more than a rabbit dog. And so people probably look at that and they're like, oh man, that's inhumane. How can you, how can you do that with your dog? But I know enough about hunting dogs to know that they are never happier than when they are out in the field hunting. And I mean, they, that is when they are living their absolute best existence is when they're out, when they're out hunting, that's all they want to do. And so, to to keep them from doing that in a sense to me would be in, inhumane you know to to prevent them from being able to do what they what they have that passion for you know and so yeah it's it's, yeah, it's a risk it. but but it's a risk that that you got to take you got to be willing to take if you're going to if you're going to own dogs like that i think so yeah. yeah. And man, we feel we feel bad when we don't take the dogs out right man, when you when you go down to the kennel um, they're ready to get out, man. They're ready to beat the brush. They're ready to go through the briars. They're ready to jump in the swamps. And there's a video on YouTube where I was screaming at one of my dogs because, man, it was freezing cold out there, and he jumped in the creek trying mm-hmm. to get to the other dogs that were on the other side, and they were running the rabbit. And the passion for him, instead of him just running around the road to the other side, he, he said, I'm going to jump in this freezing cold water get to the dogs just so I can run this rabbit. And I'm I'm yelling at him, come back, come back, because I'm like, man, this water is cold. Yeah. But the passion of those dogs have for it, man. And uh, But we spend so much time caring for the dogs, man, um, yeah. just making sure they have the right nutrition, um, making sure, you know, just it, they have the right medication, um, taking care of the dogs. But um, ironically, which most people not, may not realize, man, we spend a lot of time taking care of the rabbit. Although we hunt the rabbit, 
the 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 um, the community of rabbits are so needed for us to continue to do what we do and mm. train. Because again, most ninety percent of our time is just ch- spent training. That means right. chasing the rabbit, but ne- never catching it. A small percentage is actually hunting the rabbit um, during the hunt season. So, uh, man, doing everything you can to care for the dog as well as the game you're hunting is at the top of our priority list. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very well said for sure. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree. I always feel guilty that I don't get my dogs out enough, you know, during hunting season. And and uh, you're right, that's. It, all the other care that goes into keeping them in good shape and and healthy and uh you know ready for that hunting season they they get plenty of love <laughs> they get plenty of love right. so yeah well let's uh we've talked about them a little bit here but let's uh um you know kind of as we we get closer to the end of our conversation here these these swamp rabbits they are larger you talked about how savvy they are know how to get get away from the pressure of the dogs and, and, you know, basically avoid all the predators that are after them out there normally anyways. But, um, can you just kind of describe like, like the physicality of these, these, uh, swamp rabbits? Yeah. Um, uh, swamp rabbit, um, is normally larger, uh, and I don't know the exact size in comparison to a cottontail, uh, but mainly we run cottontail to swamp rabbits. And a, sw- a swamp rabbit uh, mainly going to be in the swamp, and it's going to be probably about a pound or two larger than the cottontail, if my uh, if my memory serves me correctly. Correctly, uh, a lot of times that the coat is a lot darker as well. Okay. Uh, and so the, the the size of them, um, you can you can tell a big difference when you see a cottontail and a swamp rabbit. The size is a lot sure. a lot bigger, and the coat of the, the skin, the color is a lot lot different. Uh, but mainly, one of the things that let you know that you're running a swamp rabbit versus running a cottontail is their running style. Okay. When the dogs start chasing, dogs start chasing them. Um, so basically the dog starts chasing the rabbit and, and I'm going to say this for, um, for someone that this may be their first time hearing about rabbit hunting. They may not understand the process. Sure. Um, the hunters and the, and the rabbit the hunters walk through the woods with the dog and just say, for instance, the hunters see the rabbit or I see the rabbit first. I stand still where I'm at and I begin to call the dogs. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this elementary just for those that are new to the sport. Right. Yep. So I, you see the rabbit, you don't, the hunter or the person don't chase the rabbit. You begin to call the dogs and we use these signals to call the dogs. And this may sound funny, but I'm going to do it for you. Okay. We, 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 we go like, Hey, yeah, Hey, yeah, Hey, yeah, Hey, yeah, Hey, yeah. And do real that loud. We just show a lot of excitement. Sure. The dogs have been trained trained to understand that hey we're calling you to the rabbit, okay. and the dogs start running the rabbit, and we look we look and listen for it. Well, we listen and look for the running style to determine whether they're running a swamp rabbit or a cottontail. Um, more 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 times than not, and this is not a tit for tat, but more times than not, the cottontail is not going to run as far as a swamp rabbit will. Okay. Now, that can vary. That can vary because in some areas, a, a cottontail will run just as far as a swamp rabbit. Sure. But most of the time, the, the cottontail may run 100, 200 yards, and then they'll circle back to where you first seen them at. 
right. rabbits uh, were uh, divinely appointed that wherever you jump the mat or first seen the mat where they took off running, no matter how far they go away, they always normally come back to the place where you first jumped them. Wow. Uh, now that that can vary some, but but nine out of ten times they're gonna always come back to that same area and really normally within five, ten, fifteen yards of where you first seen them at. Okay. So the cottontail, um, which is the smaller of the rabbit, takes off and it'll run about a hundred, maybe hundred and fifty, sometimes two hundred yards out, and it'll circle back, come back. It'll be zigzagging a lot. It'll double be double backing a lot, but it eventually come back. Um, what makes the swamp rabbit unique is normally the swamp rabbit will take off and it'll run three, four, five, six, seven, sometimes eight, nine hundred yards away. And so it's going to take the dogs on a farther race. And that's how you know, man, that, that has to be a swamper or that has to be a buck rabbit. That's the hunters are talking, man, that must be a buck because of how far he runs. Okay. Uh, and if you're not if you're not careful, a lot of times it'll sound like a it sound like a, a chase after a deer or something. Sure. But uh, that swamp that swamp rabbit, because of his size and probably durability, is able to run a lot farther. But eventually, it it'll come back. Um, that swamp rabbit will run through creeks, across creeks, and the cottontail. Uh, I've seen cottontails get in creeks as well, but mainly that swamp rabbits will swim the creeks. Um, get, get, you know, get, uh, go through the, um, toughest of tough, um, terrain and, um, do whatever it has to do in order to shake those dogs. But, and it'll go a lot farther distance, but eventually it'll come to come back as well. So, so they'll actually get in the water and start swimming across a Creek or something. Yeah. See that, that's the challenge. And you have to have a dog that will get in that creek and swim that creek too. That's yeah. what separates, for lack of a better term, that's what separates the boys from the men when it comes to training. Sure. Having those dogs that get in that water, having those dogs that can figure out that, hey, this rabbit, last time I smelled him, it was at the edge of this creek. I need to get in this water and go to the other side and see if I can pick up a trail. Man, right. I've seen swamp swamp rabbits get in the water and find like a um, a little a little patch of, of land out there in the middle of the water and get up on that. And those dogs would be swimming in all that area trying to find them and make a move. And right at the last minute, man, that swamp rabbit to jump off that little patch of land back into the water and swim right back from where they came from. Uh-huh. And you talking about the the dogs will be just howling trying to get after me. They, they are some of the toughest to run, but I, I think because of their size, them being bigger, they the ability to run a longer distance and get in that water, man. And sometimes they'll get in that water and all you'll see is that nose sticking up out of it. Wow. And it's, yeah. It's, True it's survivors. Amazing. I mean, just something that's yeah. just built to survive. That is, that is, that is so cool to think of a, a rabbit out swimming dogs and stuff. Man, that is so cool. Well, that article did enough to get me excited about going down there and trying to hunt sometime. I, I'm definitely going to have to, I'm definitely going to have to give this a uh, another look and try and make a way to to get down and and uh, do a little uh, southern swamp rabbit hunting. This sounds like a true adventure, man. That's that's really cool. Yeah, well, we're, we're actually setting up a location now that um, we're hoping um, that we have it complete by next time to see. We've been working on it probably five years. But I want to start inviting hunters to come down and hunt with me on my property. 
and uh, man, had opportunity to run some um, cottontails as well as some swamp rabbits. Yeah. Hey man, if you're ever looking for somebody, let me know. I'd be happy to be happy to trade you an Iowa pheasant hunt or a uh, Iowa deer hunt if you ever wanted to come and shoot one of our uh, trophy whitetails up here. <laughs> that'd be uh sounds good. Man. That'd be that'd be a uh, lot of fun to to do that sometime. Well, yeah. Tremaine, as we uh, draw to a close here, you know the hunt's over. You got a pile of rabbits stacked up. Hopefully, a limit. You got any uh, tips for? Uh, cleaning the cleaning rabbits up real quick yeah 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 i mean i have time so i don't want to rush you um but um one thing um we do after we we don't waste any game if we harvest the game we we either we're gonna um, keep the game for ourselves or we have a lot of elderly people that man grew up um with rabbits so they love how it tastes and really it's a lot of younger people too that love the taste uh, one thing about rabbit meat is some of the leanest meats you can ever eat. Mm. So a lot of people that that are very health conscious or uh, weight conscious, they love eating rabbit meat because they get the meat, but they don't get the added fat right. and all that that comes with it. So it's some of the leanest meat you can ever eat. Uh, but now my my perfect way to prepare it is the is the traditional way. Um, I I love to um, we, we clean the rabbit. Um, I believe cleanliness is next to godliness. So, man, we I clean my rabbit probably multiple times. We do initial cleaning after the hunting. Sure. Um, and then uh, we do it uh, after it's freezing. We're ready to eat the meat. We do another cleaning. Okay. And then I normally I normally boil boil my rabbits for you can boil three or four hours, which really uh, technically probably cooks it. But now I boil mine oftentimes five, six, seven, eight hours. Oh, and wow. I make, um, I, and it depends on what I'm trying to prepare. Uh, man, I'm, I'm about to give out some secrets right here. Uh, <laughs> I, I boil mine, mine that long and it makes the meat fall off the bones. Oh, man. And then, then therefore, all you have is just the meat and not the bones. One sure. thing about eating small, small games like squirrel or rabbit, you have to contend with the small bones. Mm-hmm. But if you um, boil it enough and give the meat off the bones, man, then you just have all meat. And that opens the door for you to uh, season and prepare it so many different ways. Even as you serve it to children, you don't have to worry about the small bones being involved in different things like right. that. But uh, so that's that's one way. Boil it so long, meat now, fall off the bone. Now, when you, when you do that, are you, are you just boiling it in like some kind of stock in like a big pot on the stove, just kind of letting it simmer all day, or are you putting yeah. that in a crock pot, or or how are you doing that? Yeah, I'm boiling it just on a pot on the stove. I'm okay. basically just, really, that's almost just prepping it for whatever else I want to do next. Sure. It's not, uh, I'm not prepping it to eat it right after that. I'm prepping it for whatever I want to do next. I boil it, um, get the meat off of it, and then I'll, like, whatever season I'm a season with. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when you boil it, I just boil it in salt, salt and water, uh, and then uh, get the meat. Then I season it overnight in the fridge for whatever I'm gonna do. Oh with man, uh, yeah, this yeah. is this and, is this is sounded really good. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 a delicacy. Um, one of the things we're gonna do if we be able to offer those guys to hunt, uh, man, we're gonna prepare a meal after the hunt with some rabbit um, delicacies and things um, that I think are, are gonna be um, out of this world. 
preparation. Man, I study a lot of the major um, chefs around the world sure. that does these amazing dishes. And um, the goal is to uh, prepare some of those dishes with the rabbit meat, man. Something that the queen uh, of England would love herself. Hmm. Man. Just different things like that. Just next, next level cooking in, in a traditional environment. Because most sure. of the time, I think of rabbit hunting and on the, uh, the beginning stages. Um, this is what I grew up as a kid. But I, I, I believe it's really like a raw, royal sport. So I want a royal meal to go with it afterwards. But, um, that that's the that's one way we prepare. But the traditional way is we boil it about three or four hours, take it off, season it overnight in whatever season you want to do, or marinate it in whatever marinade you want. And then we um batter it up, throw it in a fine deep fryer, fried, um, make some rice, some gravy, um, biscuits, and man, rabbit with rice, gravy and biscuits is the um traditional way of having it and it's still probably one of my favorite ways although i do some more and more fancy dishes mm-hmm. i love the traditional way fried rabbit with um white rice gravy and um homemade biscuits man oh, oh man <laughs> oh, that sounds so good i didn't eat breakfast yeah. before we recorded man i'm getting real hungry now <laughs> yeah that's the way to go man that's the way oh, to go man yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. I definitely I definitely got to try that next time I get a rabbit. I actually have a squirrel in my freezer right now and I've been yeah. thinking up how to cook that and that sounds like a I like that idea with the the boiling it down to get the meat separated from the bones. I imagine that probably helps a little bit with uh finding the shot if there's any little bits of shot left in the in the meat as well, does it? Yeah, it does. It does. And that's one of the worst things. You don't want to be able to bite in one of the mm. shots. Oh, um, man, so yeah. so clean, cl- cleaning it several times helps with that. Mm-hmm. And then um, and you try to you try to be a good shot. That's why we try to do um, shoot the shot that doesn't mess up the meat. And uh, mm-hmm. we actually brag on that. Hey, don't mess up the meat because we've got to serve this to someone. And uh, uh, But we clean it heavily and then boiling it down where you only have the meat. All, it helps with that tremendously. Tremendously. Mm. Yeah, those are those are great tips there for sure. Um, you you know, along with with uh, the the prep that being super important, sometimes rabbits can pick up uh, some parasites or some viruses or or even a bacterial infection or something. Is there anything that you recommend people look out for or any preventative? I imagine you would suggest people use gloves and and stuff like that when they're when they're cleaning a rabbit, but is there, is there anything that you would recommend that, that people really keep an eye out for when they're, they're cleaning rabbits? Yeah. Um, I think you said it correctly. A lot of times if you see me cleaning rabbits, uh, on my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. um, one thing I do, I, excuse me, I always try to use gloves. Um, yeah, and I know it's sometimes untraditional for hunters to use gloves with clean game, but mm-hmm. rabbits have what we uh, can have what we call tularemia. I, I hope I'm saying that name. Oh, right. yeah, I think that's uh, right. Yeah. yeah, so they normally have tularemia, or they, they can have it. So therefore, man, I, I always urge my son, Trent, and um, really other hunters with me, um, they laugh, laugh at me, but I always recommend that they just use gloves because, man, rabbit hunting and some of the thickets of thick out there, t- thick terrain, your hands and everything get scratched up. And uh, so, therefore, just uh, we just like to be cautious to put on gloves um, as we're yeah. cleaning the rabbits. And uh, 
I believe if you cook the rabbit, get it to an internal temperature of 160 degrees, if, if my memory serves me correctly, that destroys all tumoremia. So by okay. the time we boil it and boil yeah. it and fry it, it, it eliminates any of that. But just to be on the safe side, then we I, I re- always recommend using gloves, and then I also make sure you cook that um, internal temperature um, to a sufficient amount. Again, I believe it's 160 degrees. If my memory serves me correctly. Uh, but just to to avoid any kind of um, diseases or or anything like that. Yeah, no, that's that's good advice. And yep, basically, and and here's my biology teacher advice for anyone listening. And you know, you're trying to get rid of something that's living. So make it when you're when you're cooking, make it as in a, inhospitable for that bacterial growth, or you know, something that's going to denature those viruses and get it clean cleaned out of the animal before you consume it. And you'll you know you'll probably be okay or kill off any you could have some parasites too not necessarily in rabbits but i know um that's a big problem for people who like to hunt uh black bears mm-hmm. is uh they can pick up some trichinosis uh worms yeah. from from uh black bear meat and you know again like like tremaine said a lot of it's just getting it hot and uh killing off anything that can be in there so no that's that's uh that's great advice well tremaine how can uh people track down benson's kennel and then also along with that do you guys ever uh raise uh pups for sale that people could uh pick up if they're they're interested in uh starting with some really good bloodline uh beagles Right. Um, one thing I recommend if you want to get into sport, or really any sport, uh, for us hunting is concerned a training dog is man always purchase from a reputable breeder. Mm-hmm. And I recommend people do that all the time, whether it's me or someone else. Just purchase from someone who trains dog, purchase from someone who has who does it and who has been doing it for a consistent basis. That mm-hmm. that helps. Nice. First of all, it gives it gives you access to the information because normally people like me, I spent 50 minutes last night talking with a gentleman about his dog. So normally people like me, they have a lot of information to share with you. So that helps your learning curve. So you don't spend five years trying to learn what you could have learned in five minutes. Mm, um, so, um, always try to find a reputable breeder. So, uh, but to reach me, I have a website, businesskennel.com. That's B as in boy, E-N-S-O-N. Um, S kennel, um, dot com. I'm certain you'll put the information. Yep. yep. I'll put those, those in the show notes. Yep. For sure. Yeah. But if you go to bensonskennel.com and you subscribe to our website, you'll see, receive a, a message directly when we have puppies or dogs for sale. Hmm. And, um, also we, we have a YouTube page. So if you go to YouTube and type in Benson's kennel, um, you'll see us. If you go to Instagram, Benson's kennel, you'll see us as well. So, uh, any of your uh, social media platforms, most of them, or anywhere on the internet, if you type in mainly, probably if you type in rabbit hunting, um, Benson's kennel should come up. If not, just type in Benson's kennel. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good tips there. Yeah. Give them a follow on, on all those, those places. Uh, definitely head over to their YouTube channel. It's, you know, not only are you picking up a lot of great information, but it's just fun to watch. I mean, you're there. If there's, there's one that there's one word that I think you could sum up rabbit hunting with, from my perspective, it's action. There's just watching, hearing the dogs and, and, uh, you know, seeing everybody moving through the, the woods or the swamp or the habitat that they're hunting in, you know, it's just exciting. And you could have, you know, a, a 
jump where you got multiple rabbits going, you got a couple different shots going off and you know, it's just, it's just exciting. So it's definitely worth it to head over there and, and check that out and definitely check out that field and stream article that you can find the link to on their website as well. And, uh, as, as uh, Tremaine said, I will definitely include the links to that. Uh, in the show notes on this episode. So uh, make sure you head over there, check Tremaine and Benson's kennels out. And uh, then also make sure you head over to uh, firstgenhunter.com. You can uh, find any of my latest articles. You can find links to my social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Go Wild, where you can interact with me there and, and happy to hear from you and talk with you and uh, you know just see what you got going on in, in your neck of the woods with whatever it is you're chasing after. But uh, until next time, people, thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and take someone hunting.